Greetings all and welcome to another episode of the Courageous Path podcast found on SoundCloud and iTunes where you can subscribe or follow. My name is Rachel Horton White with Soulful Work Intuitive Consulting and you can learn more about me at soulfulworkconsulting.com. I am delighted to share today an interview with Matthew Francis. When in the presence of a courageous, resilient, and trusting soul, such as Matthew Francis, one knows there is great wisdom being shared. I was so blessed to sit down with Matthew and discuss his incredible journey from going through significant childhood trauma and struggling with mental health, recovering from cancer, grappling with his faith in God, and then transitioning from female to male. In our conversation, Matthew dives in deep to why the mental health system is broken, sharing his personal experience and offering potentially transformational solutions, all the way over to talking about what his experience has been like as being transgender and offering insight into how people can learn to understand and even relate better to people in the trans community. He even touches upon the othering that happens with race and gender and why some tend to react out of fear in particular to transgendered people. Lastly, Matthew shares an incredible story about a supernatural experience he had with angels after suffering a vicious beating as a young child and about how his renewed faith in God has fueled him through over the years, reconciling his fear of a of a vengeful punishing God to that of a loving and forgiving God. Matthew Francis is the author of My Resurrected Spirit and host of the talk show Diversity Dignified. He is also the founder of Freedom to Flourish, which encapsulates the belief that all lives are of infinite value and that sharing your story is the catalyst of empathy and much needed dialogue. He believes everyone deserves to thrive and that we all must work together to bring out the best in each other. He currently travels nationally delivering educational and motivational speeches using his own tragedy turned triumph to highlight resilience. Matthew is an alum of the University of Southern Maine with a bachelor's degree in sociology. He has distinguished himself as an activist for 25 years on diverse social issues. Matthew has spoken at Harvard, Maine Medical Center, and the University of Maine System. Matthew's publications and presentations include speaking at the Social Work Grand Rounds at Maine Medical Center on gender, dignity, unique, and equal, and he is slated to present on trauma, transition, and mental health institutions for the psychology department at USM. Matthew's most recent undertaking has been his book, My Resurrected Spirit, which chronicles Matthew's journey through essay, short stories, and is enjoying national success. Matthew's references include Dr. Ayla Jesse McCutcheon at the Center for Cognitive Therapy, Dr. Jane Pringle, retired outpatient clinic director at Maine Medical Center, Dr. Herbert Renz Polster, pediatrician and author in Germany, and Linda Jacobson, CNS at Maine Medical Center's McGeechee Hall. His book, My Resurrected Spirit, is now available on Amazon.com. You can learn more about Matthew at hmatthewfrancis.com. Hope you enjoyed this transformational and enlightening interview with Matthew. 
Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Rachel. It is so wonderful to be here with you, and um, I just thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about your incredible life story and about the work you're doing now of sharing your, a message with the world through your book mm-hmm. uh, called My Resurrected Spirit. And um, so I'd like to start off by asking you, just talk maybe a little bit about um, your life and what you know brought you to this place today of sharing your story with the world. Sure. Well, um, My Resurrected Spirit is a series of essays and short stories. And it, um, unfortunately or unfortunately, there's not this linear time frame on it. Uh, partly because there was a lot of moving around as a kid. There was a tremendous amount of trauma. <clears throat> and like everything being on a spectrum, trauma is on a spectrum. And on that spectrum, I would be on the very severe end of that. So I wanted to um, share hope because I got cancer in 2012, mm-hmm. which was my big epiphany wake-up call. When I got the diagnosis, I actually was going to just let myself go to God. I was going to make my peace. I was going to go to this spiritual, uh, Marie Joseph Spiritual Retreat Center in Biddeford, make peace with God, and go home. Life had been really hard. Um, there was this trauma, and then, you know, you're 18. Uh, you don't just overcome it because you're 18. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I really would go on to develop uh, trauma-related mental health issues. Um, and I know that we're very familiar with the medical paradigm that everything's a chemical imbalance. And trauma does cause a chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that as a society in America, it seems to be a little bit more in England that they understand a lot of mental illness is trauma-based. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't see it that way so much here. We, we see it more as a medical kind of condition. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I would struggle with that. But I think my point of bringing that up is that what we know now of the treatment of trauma back then is that it not only was ineffective, it was actually traumatizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went from one trauma environment to a very well-meaning but another traumatic environment, which was to be psychiatrically labeled and I was in that category of severe and persistent Mm. which quite frankly means hopeless Mm -hmm. I was heavily medicated and I spent the majority of my adult life in a basement apartment uh, watching reruns of the same programs taking my prescribed medicines and the biggest accomplishment of my day would have been keeping my home clean or paying my bills Mm -hmm. So when I get this cancer diagnosis and I wrestle with it and I do wind up getting treatment, after 10 months of going through infections and chemotherapy and and so on, the question was, am I going to go back to that life that was not working at all? (laughs) And the answer is no. But I'm also going to credit the cancer paradigm because... As you know, if you get cancer, you're, you're brave and you're courageous and everyone loves you. Um, but that's not true if you are a trauma survivor or you are struggling with mental health issues. That's right. Yeah. If we would use that same paradigm, imagine getting a care package. Well, welcome to the club. And here's a list of resources and here's a great center to hang out Mm -hmm. and no one blames you and all of a sudden people are visiting you and giving you flowers I basically credit them for kind of nurturing me out of my apathy Mm. and had they not done that I probably would have gone back to the same life because that's all I knew Mm -hmm. but they sort of offered me something different and Mm. I wasn't going to go back (laughs) so 
That was that your, when you talk about they was that your faith community or just friends and um, they was the cancer community oh, the cancer and then community. the faith community did step up to the plate. I mean, I just say it, but when I got cancer, like I got about sixty cards. I I my I had flowers brought to me all the time. People came to visit all the time. Well, I've been to the hospital a number of times. I don't remember getting one card. I don't remember ever getting flowers. Hmm. Um, and I certainly don't remember being called brave or courageous. This, and, with, this was when, with the mental Yeah, health. with, okay. mental, with yeah. mental illness. And to be honest, honest, I mean, cancer is really tough, but it was more physical. Mm-hmm. I, um, it was a lot harder for me to go overcome mental health and trauma. Mm-hmm. And no one was calling me brave. Right. Actually, they'd be like, you know, you're being treatment resistant or you're not trying hard enough. Or, and what was awful is because, let's say, whatever fad was going on mm-hmm. about, you know, whatever treatment was, and I'd try. Oh, my God, would I try? And if it wasn't working, it was my fault. Mm-hmm. And if it was working, mm-hmm. it was I had a good therapist. Right. So it wasn't possibly my good work. It's totally disempowering. <laughs> yeah, it was very disempowering. And then... And so I remember, like, if I wasn't making the progress that I thought or perceived I should be making, I simply wasn't trying hard enough. I was, um, and that just becomes really horrible feeling. And you know in your heart you are trying. It's just not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 12 steps, we kind of talked a little bit about that. But imagine if you go and it doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. And you know like you're AA working the program. Right. Yeah. And you know in your heart you're working the program. Yep. Why not just say, gee, I'm glad it works for such, such, and such. But I'm going to try something different because it's just not working for me. And imagine if we all just said, that's wonderful. But what I would hear is, you're not working the program. And I don't mean for me because I've never done a 12-step, but I remember other people. Mm -hmm. I remember people telling me it's not working for them. And I would just be like, well, it works for other people. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even sympathetic Mm -hmm. because AA is the big paradigm. Mm -hmm. But the fact is it doesn't work for everybody. And so let's have a smorgasbord of treatment, Mm -hmm. much more holistic approach. Mm -hmm. But I do think autism awareness is a great way that we need to be applying that for trauma and mental health Mm -hmm. and then cancer paradigm for the way we embrace Mm -hmm. people as a community. Mm -hmm. We can merge those. I think we would learn a lot. So you have, um, with your own life experience, in trauma Mm -hmm. with mental illness Mm -hmm. and with a serious life-threatening illness cancer and then transitioning then i'm transgender transgender (laughs) right i mean you have these major areas that you have personal experience in that it seems like you're really helping people or trying to change things that aren't held the way that isn't hasn't been helping people to a new paradigm and it's a tricky it's a tricky road because you don't want to throw everything under the bus but I guess I want to highlight um, just different ideas that have worked for me. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk a lot about community. Well, what does that mean exactly? Mm-hmm. And I hate to say this because I don't want to get negative, but I really feel too often that we want to do the big things, but it's the little things that matter. It's the conversations. It's the eye contact. If you haven't heard from a buddy, why not check in? You're getting an email. Why don't you return the email? Right. <laughs> but we don't do that. Oh, we're all busy on the Facebook. Mm-hmm. And what's the point of gathering all these friends if you don't spend time with them? Yeah, in-person contact. Yeah. There's nothing that substitutes that, which we're doing right now. Which we're doing now. <laughs> and the psychiatric community, too, has a very interesting dilemma because we have so um, medicalized it that too often family and friends don't dare to help the person with mental illness. They don't feel qualified. 
mm-hmm. and will really encourage that person to go seek professional assistance. And then the professionals, ironically, will encourage you to go to your peers. <laughs> so you're getting told So you really wind up going nowhere. Um, if you call a hotline, I guarantee if you called 774 help, they would encourage you to call your friends. Yeah. And your friends will tell you to call them. Oh, so that's a real, and, that, and I bring that up to people. I used to have, and then, so I would remember sitting there like no one wants to talk to me and I'd be so heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, maybe a person does, maybe they have schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a professional to go have a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a professional to just sit down and make mm-hmm. some eye contact. Mm-hmm. And you notice something about leaders, because this is one pet peeve I really have. Leaders really make good eye contact, in my opinion. They're scanning the room for the more important person. <laughs> While they yeah. sit there and rally about social activism and helping the other, well, the other's right there in front of you. Right. <laughs> Look at them. Right. Talk to them. Right. This is why you're doing it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And we need to reconnect about why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes I feel like even some of the most liberal people are alienating their other because they're not being honest who their other is because for them it's probably the christian or the republican and it's not the person of color and it's not the muslim Mm -hmm. and that's great but the whole point is for all of us because don't we all we want to we want to be interconnected we say that too much but we're not really practicing it in reality yes you know i'm so glad you said that that's my personal (laughs) mission right now is to it's help connect people um but something that you know that occurred to me which is people are so afraid these days to say the wrong thing which yes. i even said to you yes. before i said i'm not yeah. yes. i don't want to say the wrong thing when i'm talking to you about um and transgender I, issues yeah, yeah. but you told me don't worry yeah um but i think with race especially mm-hmm. um right now there seems to be i even said hurt somebody this broke my heart said i've learned that it's better for me not to speak because i might offend somebody and mm-hmm. that just made me so sad. Right. And so how can we, knowing that people are trying to be sensitive right. to other people, or maybe they don't know what to say to somebody with schizophrenia, they might say the wrong thing. Or maybe they don't know what to say with somebody who's had serious abuse in their life. How do you mm-hmm. talk to somebody about that without triggering them? So what advice do you have if, for people Couple. who that? I would that? say this. For the person who is othered, this is hard for us because it's a double whammy. But we've got to come at it with the idea that you've got good intentions. Yes. That your intentions, your intentions are honorable. So even if you don't have the right language, we're going to negotiate that along the way. So if I come at it with the idea that, gee, Rachel doesn't know anything about being trans but obviously she cares she's asking me so I'm gonna say she's got good intentions so even if she's saying everything politically (laughs) correct the wrong way incorrect incorrect she's politically incorrect she's got good intentions so I'm gonna hold on to that and then of course the other thing that I think I do that is a little unique is I assume that you've given these issues just as much weight as me you're just as intelligent if not more than I am And your experiences have just led you to think of it differently. And we're going to sit here and chat about why and hows and the nuances. And I bet by the end of it, we're going to be the best friends. Mm -hmm. And if you can come at it that way, but it's so hard because the person who is othered 
there are those microaggressions. Mm-hmm. But to me, a real aggression, I could care less about the microaggressions. I do too. We've been, we've been born. Yeah. And that's something I think religion in general across the board has done a disservice. That we're yes. original sin. Well, what about maybe original blessing? Yes. Before any sinning was happening. Yes. Maybe we were being blessed. Maybe that was the whole point. Yes, I know. <laughs> so. so I am... Um, can I just ask you about a shifting a little sure, bit? Sure, let's shift it. No, I'm yep. just wondering about um, more and more, it seems people are becoming more comfortable with transitioning yes. genders. Yes. And do, in your opinion, as somebody who's done that, is that partly because there are more people who are being born into the wrong body or feel like they're being born in the wrong body? Or is it that society is more open to accepting that people are saying I'm going to transition I'm going to change genders or I'm going to be neither gender yeah what are your thoughts on that I think it's both I Mm -hmm. think part of it is we do have the internet so now we can gather around and rally and there is more awareness and I do think it is happening more frequently Mm -hmm. and from an evolutionary perspective my my belief would be transgender people were two-spirit people we were sort of the sages the teachers um, and so we're very resilient people because, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, yes. that is really about saying in America, black lives are the most degraded lives. So if we can highlight this, if we can find a template that works, we may have solved it. I would say that's true for America, but transgender lives globally are the most degraded lives. And I'm convinced if we can find a solution for something that seems to be so intrinsically oppositional to most people, we will have nailed it. Mm -hmm. If we can embrace trans people, because there is more awareness, Rachel, but that is not translated into acceptance. There's there's some serious dangers. Serious danger. (coughs) Every year for the last three years, oh, this was the worst year. And then the next year, oh, this was the worst year yet. And then last year, 300 of us killed. And how many more? Because statistics are very limiting, and I could really go off on how how they're limiting Mm -hmm. and why they're limiting. Just know that it is far more dangerous. No matter how dangerous you think it is, it's probably 10 times more than what you know. And probably even more so in some other cultures. Yes. And and also, I want to get on my soapbox a little bit. Transgender men are not in the narrative enough. We mm. It seems to me when people talk about, they really do think almost exclusively about transgender women. Interesting. And I don't hear enough about transgender men, and there's a lot happening to us that's not being talked about. It's not being highlighted. And we are here, too. And when you're going to talk about bathrooms and changing rooms, you might want to include us. Mm. When you want to talk about violence, you really need to be including us because um, the violence against trans men is, is actually quite high. Um, but it's happening with our family and friends. Therefore, exists a prior relationship. So it's not even statistically significant. But it's not statistically significant because trans men, too, are a little responsible because it is our family and friends. We're often not reporting it. But even if we did, it wouldn't be considered a hate crime. Even now, because we've met, if you go and beat the crap out of me two days later, we have a prior relationship and it wouldn't be a hate crime. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's What it's would crazy. that be considered then? It's just a crime, which is fine. It's a crime. Huh. But transgender women, unfortunately, are almost always assaulted by strangers. And so it's a much more clear-cut case. So we highlight their 
and I'm not, and especially if you're a transgender woman of color, God bless your heart because your, your statistic is off the chart. You're so othered. You're forced really almost into, um, lives that are so disparaging and, and high risk. Um, and so if you're a transgender woman of color, it is really a double whammy. Yeah. So. It's so, f- I, I, I remember way back when with the, it was, was it Brandon Tina? Tina. Who yes. Was, with yes. that movie that, um. What was that movie called? Boys Don't Cry. Boys Don't Cry. Thank yeah. you. I remember the name. I don't remember. Yep, that was actually yep, probably good. Yep. But um, I, it's like, why is there so, why do people react so much out of that anger and hatred? I can only imagine there's some kind of threat. They're feeling threatened. It is a bit because gender, race is such an intrinsic part of who you are. And so basically trans people are really challenging what we've known as the sort of binary paradigm. <sighs> And so that's, I think, very scary. And I would say in some ways as trans people, we might want to be a little more softer to realize that just because technology can can give you information at the speed of light, hearts don't change at the speed of light. Yeah. So think about all this indoctrination that you've all had. We've had it too. It's been internalized to us. Um, and But we're enlightened and you're not yet. So of course, sometimes, you know, like a reformed smoker can be such a twit sometimes. I think sometimes we can be a little... Um, sensitive, mm-hmm. and I hate to say it like that because like overly sensitive. Yeah, a little, we're, mm-hmm. and trans people kind of do have a reputation for being a little sensitive. <laughs> it's part of our charisma. Well, it's understandable, yeah, it, right? Yeah. It's part of our charisma too, and that's not a bad thing because sometimes I think uh, sensitive people get a bad rap because all it really means is hey, treat us better. Mm-hmm. You know, we we raise the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not gonna we're not okay with this rough roughness and so if you're sensitive don't take offense to that I don't mean it like that but we do have kind of a reputation for being a bit prickly and it's hard though if you are being uh you know picked on uh, eventually you will get paranoid eventually you're not going to see people as friends and allies but everyone's an enemy you expect everybody you expect everyone and and it's easy to be a bit reactive Mm -hmm. and so I guess what I would ask is if you're the person who's not being harmed on a daily basis can you just suck it up a little bit understand where this is coming from it's not that anyone wants to be reactive with you it's that this is our lives and this is what we experience so often it's hard not to believe that oh Rachel really means well when she messes up my pronoun and and it's visual too like I look the part right right but what if I didn't and right it would be easier to mess up my pronoun and I yes. got to remember we're visual people well there are some people you know. who go by they which right that is is very, very confusing fluid, to people very, yes because it's a plural noun and you're talking right. to one person and yeah but that's we don't have a pronoun you don't want to be called no. it no, oh please you know no, no that's but dehumanizing it's dehumanizing yeah. so but there isn't a real that we need a new pronoun we do and some of the ones they've tried just haven't picked up and ca- yeah. caught on and I think the fluid thing is hard because people haven't even really gotten on board with the binary trans folks right and I'm a binary trans guy I, I like I'm very masculine I, I like my masculine um, and I actually did try to be a little fluid because I wanted to be sort of in solidarity um, but that was not me either so that's not fair for me to behave that way mm-hmm. I respect the other people are fluid and for them that's a non-binary out of the box gender fluid gender queer there's different terminology for that but these folks basically either feel not a gender mm-hmm. or they kind of are back and forth mm-hmm. with a feeling of gender and I think it can be disconcerting if you're if you're someone who kind of knows what your gender is and you're solid mm-hmm. um, and so you know we've all got to just you know just breathe and pause and be curious um, 
But the fluid thing for me, how I came to terms with it, time is very fluid to me. So I just thought, well, okay, it's fluid to me, time, so someone's gender is fluid. Okay, I don't get it, but I'll respect it, Mm -hmm. you know? I, oh, you have, you're just filling such an important role in our world as a teacher. You really are. And for that, I thank you. Because I think what you're saying is so important and so needed. A lot of it's based on fear. Yeah. Fear of what we're not familiar with. Right. And fear of something that we don't see all the time. And so it's like from that biological, like, um, fight or flight place. Yes. It's. There's the fear that we're trying to disassemble the family unit. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And fear to me, this is maybe an overboard. Uh, it's really rare that we should need to be in fight and flight. We're not, I mean, it, it's a necessary component. It's there for a reason. But most of the time, as hard as it is, we need to pause. Yes. We need to stay curious because you're probably not being attacked by a bear. Right. You know, and if you are, please fight, flight, freeze, attach, do what you have to do. Right. But in the course of, gee, uh, Rachel's um, clothing attire makes me uncomfortable. Sit with your discomfort a bit. Yes. And gee, Rachel, tell me about those orange earrings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, And even I've done this before. I've had a discussion with people and I'm getting worked up. And I'll literally say, all right, I can feel my hair is, and I'll describe it. And just the act of describing disempowers that feeling a bit. And then I try, because now I practice it so much, I try to be curious. And so I will, say we were to debate, say we weren't getting along with this conversation. I would literally just describe, and I'd I'd say, I just need to breathe for a second. Mm -hmm. And then um, I would try instantly to get curious. And, you know, but we'd have to pause first while I describe my feeling and then you'd get your turn and try to be like a ping pong, you know, yeah. So it seems like it's just moving beyond this, some of the fears that we have of not understanding our own feelings, but just literally being open and honest and saying, you know, like for instance, if I were to say to you, I'm feeling uncomfortable right Right. now, Matthew, because I've never been near a transgender person right, right, right. which is not true right. but if um if i were to say that my initial fear might be oh well he's gonna judge he's me. gonna think that yeah. i am judging him or yeah. i don't right. you know and so maybe it's you know it takes a it takes a wise soul like you to kind of be able to but i think my feeling is that we can move on to that to that place and somebody mm-hmm. saying you know i am so excited to meet you i've never met anybody like you before right and i am so it's so interesting to me and i want to learn and i am it could be this amazing growth and learning opportunity yes it could and um the only thing on that because you or do not. what you do what right you, know, you want me to teach you and i'm going to yes. tell this to the audience Sometimes I've heard trans people feel a bit burdened that yes. they feel like they're constantly being the teacher. Yes. So I would say, say all those things and then add, are you in the mood yep. of, of being questioned? Yep. Because there, I know um, I have a dear friend and I'm not going to out him, but he often finds me so interesting. So he introduces me and almost always outs me, even though we've had this discussion that sometimes I just want to be Matthew. Yes. Um, and 
and so basically I'm at a point in my life where I'll say to the person, you got 20 minutes, ask me whatever you want, and then we're done with the trans thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, and then one time I actually was brave and I said, you know, I'm just not in the mood. I just want to be Matthew. Yeah. And I was so grateful because it was a it was a gay um, couple, men, two men, and they were just fine with it. Mm-hmm. They were just completely fine. And that was a relief to me because I just yeah. wasn't in the mood. I totally so. get it. And that's because it's you can't be, I mean, on, you're doing an interview now, you're, t- you're in right. a teaching mode, right. but you don't want to be walking around doing that all the dinner. time. Right, right. You're having dinner with friends. Right. I don't feel like talking about... Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and plus, yeah. I know what you're saying. You know, like, I don't want to have to speak for this whole group of people right. and have to explain to people all the time because that gets exhausting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I and totally you can't. And that's that. the other thing. Like, whether you're a person of color or you're trans, or if you're sort of a minority or marginal, you never can speak for everyone anyways. Right. You can only speak about your own experiences. Because if you had a panel right now of 10 of us, I guarantee you we're going to have very different answers. Right. Uh, our politics are different. Our religion, we're just as diverse as everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so that's the mistake, too, I think, sometimes that we all make to each other. Mm-hmm. Is, gee, well, I'm, I met a trans person. I know all about these issues. Well, no, you met Matthew, and you right. you know what his version is. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, keep being fascinated. And then just um, if 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 it's something that's unique, just you know, I am curious. My God, are you in the mood of this conversation? Yeah. You know what I mean. So. Yep. I lived in Senegal for a year, and I remember it's very different being the only white person, and yeah, it, because it's not the same. You know, you're like sure. a celebrity, but I remember just sometimes being like, I just want to blend in like everybody right. else. Right. I don't want to be questioned all the time about what it's like to be an American yeah. or. Yeah. It just, it's or have just, them feel I just want to be regular, right? <laughs> so I, I'm sure it's different, but, yeah. um, so one of the things, one of the things that I loved about you is, um, and I love about you is your faith, your mm. pure faith. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how you came from a place where you were afraid of a higher power, which I know you refer to as mm. God yep. and to using or to um, developing a new relationship with this power with God. Yeah. Well, early on, and I know in the book I address it very quickly, um, I had sort of a supernatural experience. Now, I may have done a little bit of disservice to the book because I, I, I almost talked just about some supernatural experiences when I really only had a few. And the truth is, it was a daily relationship. And so how did I get from God was abusive? Not that God was abusive, but I was a, it was a fear-based relationship and come into a place of more love and warmth. It took a lot of work, Rachel. It, it took self-awareness. It took peeling back what I had been taught. And it took, like any relationship, a willingness to be honest, a willingness to keep coming to the table. That's a term I use in my book often. Um, And something, a practice that for me is very vital is 5 a.m., Jesus and I talk every morning. Mm -hmm. And um, now sometimes it's very briefly because I'm tired and I go back to bed (laughs) and then we have second breakfast. (laughs) Um, But the reason for that is because no matter what I've done or what I haven't done or what I'm thinking, what I haven't, we reconnect. And we just, and then, and that's, 
that's going to be unique to everybody. And I don't necessarily recommend five in the morning for everyone. <laughs> but for me, it's just a matter of like, no matter what, because when I would do something wrong or what I perceived wrong, I would hide from God because, you know, I didn't want to be punished or, mm-hmm. or I, I let him down, you know, I let down my friend. And then it's sort of like when you keep coming back and then, you know, for me, sometimes it's the Bible, but it's other just uplifting things. And then I realize, you know, he's not this angry, punitive person or, or being entity that I perceived mm-hmm. and that was just the relief would you I don't I don't want to ask you to talk about anything painful necessarily okay. but I'm wondering if you can share that what one of the supernatural experiences yeah. that you had was with angels mm-hmm. um the first very first supernatural experience I had is is of course always the most powerful the most profound but I had just endured a tremendous beating and up to and I was probably four years old and I don't say how old I was in the book um but I was about four and I was trying to behave like this was my girlfriend doll and um my father had walked in on me and it just infuriated him and he beat the bejesus out of me um and so I kind of wander outside and it's this beautiful day it was such a contrast to what I had just kind of gone through and all of a sudden I really believe that I was just hearing this vibrational energetic singing Mm. and it's not the kind of music that would have been in my neighborhood (laughs) it was very angelic and heavenly Mm. and I knew they were angels now it wasn't anything visual it was auditory but then there was this peace that just didn't make sense even though I'm such a young person and then I and then this added component I don't know if I did share this in the book but I suddenly spontaneously know the Lord's Prayer there's absolutely no reason that I should know the Lord's Prayer because I hadn't been exposed to that Um, and and I basically felt like and this is where it's sort of energetic vibrationally and not really voices but I felt like uh, angels were saying it's gonna be tough it's going to be really tough. You're going to feel bad, but we're here. Mm-hmm. You're not alone, even though it's going to feel that way. And like any person, let alone a child, those those experiences are fleeting. They're fun in the moment. It's wonderful. But then, you know, you get beat again. Where are the angels now? Right. You know what I mean? So I forget. I forget that experience. Um, and I don't, I'm not able to draw upon it because it's being flooded with lots of other ones that aren't so good. Mm-hmm. And um, and in some way, I always have this connection, but I do what every human being does. My first caretakers were harsh, so hence God was harsh. Um, and so I'm just trying to please him. And of course, just living was sinning, so I'm never getting it right. And then I'm afraid of God. Uh, and the only thing good I did in my mind, and I don't know why or how, is just I kept coming back. I just didn't want to believe God was that way. And so I tease it out, and, you know, I'm still growing. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, here I am, you know, I'm 46, and I know he's not a harsh, punitive uh, being, and yet sometimes I still project that on him. And sometimes, you know, the pray for your enemies thing is not the easiest thing. You know, someone hurts you, and what does that mean to pray for them? What does it mean to care for them? Um, Because I do believe in accountability, but I don't think accountability is going to look that legalistic way that we're used to. I mean, we're used to being very punishing and, and... you know, exacting, and I don't know that it's going to look like that, but I do believe in accountability. I don't think they are incompatible, Mm -hmm. and I do think God is loving and light, and I also, I do also think there's, there's going to be accountability. I don't know what that exactly is going to look like, but I don't think we're all walking away, 
you know, just behaving willy-nilly because God is loving. You know, if that's the case, then in some ways, what's the point, too? Well, it's like we're yeah. learning from our mistakes. And yes. And some things are mistakes. I feel like I'm the only... I really love to brag about this. I don't make mistakes, Rachel. I actually do sin. <laughs> I, oh, know sin. What I'm do- <laughs> I know what I'm doing wrong sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is a difference between doing something that's kind of you're ignorant of it. Um, and then there's... You know, someone who's a sociopath, for example, who knows what they're doing. They're hurting somebody. They're hurting someone intentionally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know how all that plays out. So I can't speak beyond my scope. But um, those are some bigger issues. And, you know, maybe you need to interview a pastor or something. But, um, you know, from my own life experience, I feel like in some sense, I and most of us are basically innocent and that we are trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be good people. And for that, so say you harm me, I'm going to just know in my heart it's probably not intentional. You know, it's just that you don't know better or or maybe something gets a hold of you and you kind of lose your senses for a little bit. I've done a little research. You know, some of the best things we can do for each other is to remind each other of our moral fabric. Mm-hmm. That is actually, it's free and it's apparently very effective. So say you were struggling maybe with mm, wanting to rip me off a little bit of money. And maybe I kind of know this, mm-hmm. you know, an effective way would be just, I know you're a generous person, Rachel. It would be to remind you of what your ideals are. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So that's some of the research I've done. And then I start to think, oh, well, I'm, maybe I am know, a generous because person. Because you want to be and you right. know that you're a good person. And so sometimes mm-hmm. when I'm having a discussion with someone and I know maybe they're taking a bit advantage or something like that. And, and I'll say, I know we're both good people and we're trying our best. And I'm reminding myself and you. It's for both of us. Mm-hmm. And then I have to remind myself, too, like, you're my brother and sister. And I really believe that. I'm just angry with you right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so I, you know, th- those are the little tricks that mm-hmm. I sort of employ. So. Oh, I... Um... Gosh, there's so many wonderful things you're saying, and I'm still living with your what your your story was about the angels, and um, you know, I, in my experience, people there are people who've had those. I've yeah, had yeah, those. Yes, it was with. Well, anyway, that's another story, mm-hmm. but different figures, yeah. and yeah. um, and often it's in the in times of extreme pain yes. or trauma. Yes, and that we're comforted, mm-hmm. but like you said, we kind of tend to forget or rationalize, or maybe it was just imagining or. Yep. But then, you know, if we can come back to, no, it was real, mm-hmm. and that there is support there for you, and yep. but not to say that, you know, you and I here are not trying to convince necessarily anybody that right. you should believe this, but right, right. if you've had an experience yes. like that, know that that's, that it's real. Yes. And you I, can call I, upon that again, right? I agree, and I feel very blessed, because I have had some sort of supernatural experiences, and yet I've also been just the nitty-gritty of not having any, and just yes. sort of like, just like relate, right? I mean, you say you're married 12 years, probably it wasn't all wonderful, right. and some of it is just, you keep coming back, you love your partner despite some of the trials, and, and that to me, and maybe I wished I would have emphasized that a little bit more in my book, is that, you know, it wasn't all supernatural all the time. Right. There were really just a few key moments Mm -hmm. and really it was the nitty-gritty talking and um you know like I said to you kind of pre-interview um sometimes I go to God with the utmost reverence and other times I feel like I go to him like we're just talking right now Mm -hmm. with a cup of coffee in my hand and Mm -hmm. 
You know, we're just having a conversation. Yeah. So whatever works for the person. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to dictate how to have a relationship. I would just say I would encourage you to have a relationship and be open mm-hmm. to what the possibilities are, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So um, for somebody who might be suffering in some way, mm-hmm. um, whether it's they were, had suffered from trauma as a child or they're suffering from discrimination mm-hmm. or feeling like an other from whatever mm-hmm. um whatever has happened in their life or whoever they may pro- they may project to the world their yeah. skin color their gender or their mm-hmm. um or their religion <laughs> um or whatever it is what advice do you have for them in terms I'm of I want to tell you the biggest thing right now you and I and every person is of infinite value and it doesn't even matter if they believe it it's a fact now we say in our constitution we're equal and in some ways I almost think that's a disservice because it implies to me if I'm not where I want to be it's my fault Mm. if we would just recognize we're unique and infinitely valued and beloved and we treated ourselves and each other that way that would be so much preferable than being equal Hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So if someone is listening to me, the gift I would want to impart, I don't care if you believe it. I don't care if you feel like it. I don't care if anyone around you recognizes it. You are of infinite value. Your life matters. What you do with it, what you fail to do with it. You have to know, even if you've made mistakes, I don't care if you think you're the worst person on the planet. He can level that playing field. Mm-hmm. And someday, I just hope even for a split second, mm-hmm. you just really get it, mm-hmm. that you really are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is what healed me. That is what healed me ultimately, was realizing that this equality, this social justice, this was for me too. Yeah. It wasn't for everybody else but me. Yeah. Or that everybody was beloved but me. Everyone was forgiven but me. Wait a minute, I'm that not that make, bad. That make sense. I'm not that bad. Right. <laughs> so Right. That's that's yep. so wonderful and helpful. And it sounds like what you just said, that asking for guidance from a loving source beyond yourself, mm-hmm. whatever it is, God or mm-hmm. anything is what transformed your life. It is. It is what transformed it. And then you get deeper into the relationship and then it becomes more nuanced and such. But start at least from that premise. Yeah. You know, if you can start from that place, I think then you can be open to so much. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness is a really difficult thing. It's a real practice. So, yeah, you know, it's a tough thing to do. Yes. Well, it it takes time, right? It does. <laughs> Constant it does. work. And especially too um because I think we're hard on ourselves as sensitive people because we do want to be good people. And I would almost say be cautious because if someone brings something up, it can be hard because you do want to be good. And it's like, oh, my God. And I was like, bah, bah, bah. But listen to what they have to say. I'll never forget I was working at a, a mental health agency and this person who was considered very sensitive, he came in like a 16-page letter. He was angry with me. And you know what? I couldn't dispute what he said in the letter. 
it was trivial things, I think, to you and I. And yet when I actually thought about it, he was dead on. I wasn't giving him the same respect as everyone else because I had kind of absorbed what everybody had said. He's sensitive and he's going to take things the wrong way. And But, you know, he he gave me the dignity, the courtesy of coming to me. Mm-hmm. And that meant something to me. And he was stunned when I said, I am so sorry. Hmm. And he just was leveled. He He was planning to go above my head. And I said... Is there anything? I said, you do what you feel you have to do. I said, but I'm not going to deny what you're saying because you're right. Mm. I said, but I didn't mean it in some of the ways that it looks like. Mm. We wound up having like an hour and a half conversation. And it was really healing. Um, And it really did start with me just being able to put us, because I think if I hadn't, I mean, fortunately for him, I really was in a good space that day, that moment. Had I kind of been, I would have been really put off by that because mm-hmm. it felt like he was just wanting perfection. Like defensive. Yes, yeah, so I yeah. would have just been defensive and I would have known my boss would have poo-pooed it anyways. And especially, unfortunately, because of who he was. Um, and I just remember like a willingness on my part to learn from him and a willingness on his part to learn from me. And so at the end of it, we wound up being almost like the best of friends. Oh, that's you so know? beautiful. And that yeah. takes a lot. I think often we don't want to admit when we can improve. Because yes. it, if I say that I, you know, did something that I could have done better, that does that mean I'm a bad person? Right, right. But I think it's like we're always constantly learning right. and improving. Well, if you think of yourself as a compassionate person, and then I kind of, you know what, Rachel, that wasn't very compassionate of you. It's right. It's going to hurt. Right. And so your response probably is going to be to be defensive and reject what I have to say. And that's where you're challenged to be like, is there any truth to that? Or maybe there isn't any, but can I just listen anyways right. and, and, and absorb some of this? Right. Is there even the slightest morsel that, yeah. Right. You know, maybe when I was listening to Matthew, I wasn't paying attention. Maybe I was Maybe I was scanning the room looking for the more important person. Right. You know what I mean? But you know in your heart, most of the time, you're a compassionate person. Right. But maybe I nail you on a behavior you just don't want to mm-hmm. look at. And that's just a way yeah. for me to improve. Right. And if right. I'm open to doing it. So if people want to find you, how can people find you? And my website, you? Yes. yes, yes, my website. I'm very proud of that. I kind of fixed it up. Yeah. I do got to update some uh, more events that are coming up for me, but um, it's hmatthewfrancis, one word, dot com, two T's, C-I-S. Okay. <laughs> and um, it usually will have my events. It has my book you can order, my resurrected spirit. It has, um, you know, my mission statement, um, it also has a, a sort of my bio, mm-hmm. um, some of my principles that I that I subscribe to, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think what else is on there. Well, there's some, and you've been doing a lot of interviews, right? Yeah, and I'm doing some interviews, events. a lot of um, some coming up, and I have some other things that I'm going to keep a little under unless it happens. Because one thing I've learned is that sometimes things don't turn out. Uh-huh. So I, um, I, to me, to keep my word of integrity is not bragging about something that might be and then it not happen and then I feel like a fool. <laughs> so so right now there have been actual interviews and there are interviews coming up um Mm -hmm. and there might be a couple big things around the corner Mm -hmm. um which would be very exciting if it if it came out so i'll leave us leave the listeners yeah leave the suspense suspense. (laughs) so check out matthew's website it's a beautiful website i was spending some time on it the other day and the book my resurrected spirit which matthew so kindly brought for me today and signed might be valuable someday um was is is just so heartfelt and honest and unlike unlike um many that i've seen it's 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 a beautiful book i highly recommend it so thank thank you you so so, much thank you so much matthew for talking with me it's been such an honor and a blessing thank you
I hope you enjoyed this interview. For more information about me, you can visit www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. And I'm Rachel Horton-White. Thanks so much for listening.